Listening to Global IQ Minute with Jim Falk, a World Affairs Council conversation with authoritative voices discussing significant newsmaking issues and individuals. Sponsored by Greenberg Traurig, LLP. I suspect that my guest, Colin Allred, stayed up late last night and was up early watching the returns from the Ohio's 12th Congressional District, which still, as of now, is too close to call, although Republican Troy Balderson holds a narrow lead. Colin is the Democratic candidate running against the Republican incumbent, Pete Sessions, who has been a member of Congress since 1996, and who has truly not had a competitive race since 2004 when he defeated Martin Frost. In fact, in mid-June, the Cook Political Report moved the race from lean Republican to toss-up, and Larry Sabato's crystal ball recently changed its rating from likely Republican to leaning Republican. So who is Colin Allred? He's a civil rights attorney who served in the Obama administration, working as assistant counsel under HUD Secretary Julian Castro. He's a graduate of Baylor University, where he was a standout football player, and I don't need to remind our listeners that the role football plays in Texas. Prior to earning his law degree at the University of California, Berkeley, he also played five seasons for the Tennessee Titans. Now, as a resident of the 32nd District, I can anecdotally report that I've never seen so many signs for a Democrat. (laughs) So, Colin, you're doing something right. Thanks so much for being with us on Global IQ Minute. Thanks for having me, Jim. It must have been, to a degree, a, a difficult decision to jump out and run in this race, especially against someone like Pete Sessions. Give us some insight what motivated you to tackle this. Well, you know, this is my home. It's where I grew up. My family's been here for decades. And so I really felt over the years watching Congressman Sessions, he was not representing the North Texas that I knew. While I was serving in the Obama administration, I knew that when it came to an end that I was going to try and find some other way to stay involved and some other way to serve. I didn't know that would be running for office. But sometime after the election, during the transition from our administration to the Trump administration, I thought that we were going to need to have a change in 2018 because I was worried about the level of seriousness that the incoming administration was taking to the job. And so I thought we were going to have to have a a reaction in 2018. I thought if no one else is going to do it, then I'll challenge him. If Hillary had been elected, do you think he would have stayed in Washington? I was going to come back either way. I don't know if I would run, certainly. I was interested in finding more ways to continue my civil rights work. I'd done a lot of voting rights work. I think we have a lot of room to grow there in Texas and making sure that enough people can vote. You probably have seen that we're dead last or 49th in voter turnout, depending on who you talk to. So uh, there's a lot of work to do there. But And that's uh, at all levels. Yeah. I mean, it's local, congressional. That's right. Yeah. yeah. We just don't have enough people voting here. And I think that's bad for our small D democracy. I was so glad to see that the Dallas Morning News is really seizing this as an issue as, as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. New York Times' Frank Bruni noted in one of his recent columns, I suspect you saw this, that the Lone Star State is where Democrats send their dreams to die, <laughs> as only 11 of its 36 House seats are in the Democratic hands. What gives you hope? Well, I take a lot of hope in the energy I'm seeing on the ground. I think that There are probably a dozen groups that I work with in this campaign who didn't exist before the election. They were largely election night watch parties that uh, became sort of group therapy sessions, uh, and they decided to keep meeting and form a group and get involved and register voters and knock on doors. That level of infrastructure and interest just hasn't existed here. Uh, And it's folks who you wouldn't expect. It's folks who are pretty comfortable, who are doing pretty well, but who feel like their values as North Texans, as Americans are being challenged by what's going on in Washington right now. And so that level of energy gives me a lot of hope. I also think that 
every year our state continues to change in, in ways that I think are, are going to require us, our representation, to keep up with it. And I don't think that P-Sessions has done that. Through gerrymandering, this district is certainly one that is Republican-oriented, a lot of country clubs. How do you balance what your, some of your positions, which are liberal, with sort of the 32nd district philosophy that has elected Pete Sessions continuously with fairly wide margins. Well, as you said earlier, he has not been challenged. So I think it's kind of hard to go on past performance there. I think my positions are positions that make sense for the people in North Texas. Mm -hmm. uh, we are dead last in the country in percentage of our folks who have health insurance. I think that we should expand access to health care. That to me is a consistent position with who we are here. I think the first bill out of this next Congress should be an infrastructure bill. We're, I think, the seventh or eighth most congested city in the country now. We're growing extremely rapidly. We have 100,000 people a year moving to North Texas. With a fair number of potholes, I might say. That's right. That's right. This administration made some noise early on about doing something serious on infrastructure. We've not seen that. That'd be a big boon for our area and for our businesses here. But I also think that it's important that we grow the pie of who is involved here mm -hmm. in our democracy. And as I mentioned earlier, not enough people vote, but I also think that not enough people think that politics is for them. I always tell folks that so you're either at the table or you're on the menu. In reviewing your platform, which I read, key points are healthcare, education, and economy. We don't have time to talk about mm -hmm. all of those. So let me ask you, just pick what you think is the most important you'd like the listeners across the country yeah. to hear. Yeah, well, I think healthcare is always number one because you have to be able to get the care you need to chase your dreams. I think that government doesn't create outcomes, but I think that it can create opportunities. I think one of the, the areas that we need to do more is to provide folks with healthcare. So I'm, I'm interested in expanding healthcare, lowering costs. I think we can do that by increasing competition through a public option. I also think that we have a middle skills gap here in this area. We have jobs that we can't fill. We have kids who are coming out of our high schools like I did out of Hillcrest High School. Our Dallas Public Schools, our Richardson Public Schools who are coming out without some of the skills that they need to compete in this modern economy. I want to connect these two things and increase vocational training in our schools, not spend so much time focusing on scantrons and things like that. I want our kids to be able to emerge with skills they can use to get into this economy. You know, I'm so grateful that you came here to the World Affairs Council, and as you can imagine, most of our talks are about global issues. Mm -hmm. And in looking, I said, Colin Alrad, international, NAFTA, and nothing comes up. And clearly, I think that shows what something that we at the World Affairs Council are aware of, that international issues are rarely the bread and butter topics that people discuss around the, around the table. I would like to ask you, how do you view some of President Trump's positions, mm -hmm. such as the withdrawal from the Iran deal, the JCPOA, yeah. and get your thoughts on some of these matters? There are some <laughs> clear mistakes that I see that have happened. I disagree with pulling out of the Paris Climate Accord. Mm -hmm. I think it was an important step to get China on board with that, and the fact that we are one of the only really major nation that's not involved in that is an embarrassment. I think that pulling out of the Iran deal was a mistake uh, without a plan, really any plan to replace it. We don't know how these sanctions are gonna function now with the European Union still trading with Iran. We don't know how that's gonna operate. I hope that it can stay together because I do think the alternative may be something that where we have to go in and try to stop them from getting that nuclear weapon because obviously I think we all accept that we can't accept a, a nuclear Iran. But on the issue of trade as well, I am somebody who believes that we need to be trading with our friends and trading with folks who don't know us. I think the countries that trade together are much less likely to shoot at one another. If we're concerned about the growing influence of China in Asia, it's a mistake to not have done some of the trade deals that we had an option to do there. I think that we have been a huge beneficiary of trade here in North Texas. And your opponent, Pete Sessions, on this issue is essentially with you. 
Well, he is, but he hasn't done anything about it. He's sitting in a perch where he could actually do something as the chairman of the Rules Committee to try and protect trade, and he's done nothing but maybe write one letter asking President Trump not to do something. And I think that that kind of inaction is not enough. If you are lucky enough to serve this area, you should be standing up for what is good for this area. And if the President of the United States is going to go out there and try and tear up NAFTA, which, as you know, are by far our largest trade partners in Mexico, followed by Canada, then it's critical know, for North then, Texas. Yeah, then we have we have to have representatives <clears throat> who will stand up and say that is a mistake. That doesn't work for my area. I want to go in a different direction, and I noticed that the NFL Players PAC donated five thousand dollars to your campaign. And an issue that doesn't seem to go away, especially here in Cowboys country, is the issue of whether or not players should stand, kneel, be in the locker room. Have you had to take a position on this? Yeah, yeah. people have asked me about it as a former player. Yeah. I understand it. I understand this from a much different perspective because I know that these are very young guys and they are passionate about what they feel and we're dealing with, with young men who are trying to express themselves. And so I think that the NFL has really mangled this. I think it has been, been mishandled. I think that within our democracy, it's really healthy and normal for us to disagree about whether or not someone uh, should protest something like police violence or structural racism during the national anthem. We can disagree on that, and mm -hmm. I know good people on both sides of that argument. But what I don't think we should disagree about is people's right to express themselves. That's when we cross a line into limiting speech, into having the President of the United States pick what kind of speech is and is not acceptable. And you know, you have to put yourself on the other side of this. If, if it was something that's another issue, would you want a different president telling you that you couldn't express yourself? I think we have to all be on guard for that. One of our members asked me to ask you this question. He's supportive of you, but he said he's concerned because Sessions has so much seniority and is able to bring things back to Dallas. How do you respond to that? Well, I would say that we haven't seen that. And I would say that you know, many of the big projects that have been done here have been brought here by Eddie Bernice Johnson and by others. And mm -hmm. I think that it's good to have fresh blood come in every now and then. I don't think the founders imagined that every position in Congress would be a lifetime appointment. I think that we should have people, if they're not doing the job anymore, if they're not staying in touch with their community, if they're not coming back and holding town halls and doing the things that they need to do to keep their ear to the ground, that they should be able to be replaced. And I think Pete Sessions has not done that. So one of the problems we have in this country, I think, is that we have too high of an incumbency re-election rate. I think that that's, there are a lot of reasons for that, gerrymandering, campaign finance. But what I think it leads to is stagnation. And I think we need to have a fresh approach. We're a dynamic area. We're growing. We need a fresh approach. I have time just for one more question, and it seems that both political parties, Republican and Democrat, are struggling with their identity right now. And looking at the Democratic Party, who is your leader? Yeah. Is the party drifting left, given the visibility that we continue to see with Bernie Sanders or the new face, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez? We are now the Big Ten Party, in my opinion, in the Democratic Party. I think there will always be voices out to the left that are going to be trying to you know, push their agenda. I think that there's a healthy argument to be had there within the party, but I don't think they're leading the party. And I think we saw that in the elections yesterday as well. Yeah. If you, you looked at some of the kind of farther left candidates, they all lost pretty resoundingly. Uh, and so I, don't, I wouldn't say that that is the new identity of the party. But I do think the party is trying to coalesce around an idea that there's something more important than partisanship. This is an important time for our country, uh, that we need to restore checks and balances. And that especially with this president and this administration, that this is a time for us to have a Congress in place that will actually exercise its Article One powers and maybe be an actual check on what's going on there. Well, I want to thank you so much for being our guest on Global IQ Minute and wish you all the best of luck with your campaign. Well, thanks so much, John. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Global IQ Minute with Jim Falk. 
a production of the World Affairs Council of Dallas-Fort Worth. Subscribe and rate Global IQ Minute on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite app. For information about a World Affairs Council in your community, visit worldaffairscouncils.org. Global IQ Minute is sponsored by Greenberg Traurig LLP, a global firm with 2,000 attorneys in 38 offices across the globe. Visit the firm at gtlaw.com.